It's a very special day today, James. It's a very special day? It is. Do you know what today is? Is it second brisket day? It is not. I made a brisket earlier in the week. Okay. No. Man, that guy. <laughs> Look, my, I, I would feel bad about all the meat, except my family is equally excited about it. Oh, okay. Hey, I, you'd feel bad about the meat, except you don't. So that's I, the I, end I of it. I don't. And because, and because <laughs> I know, I know that you're jealous. I know you are. <laughs> well, I know you are. I'm glad you can be so confident. I should send you a picture of what I made last night. And I throw some veggies in there. Do not send me a picture of your meat. I... No, Nobody needs they, to see no, that. No, well, okay. Out of, co- out of context, of course, and I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today revolves around out of context. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, But before we get there, what is, what is special about today? I don't know. It's Mother's it, Day. It, it's, it's Mother's Day, but that's not what's special about today. Today in my house is... Take your wife to Lowe's on Mother's Day because the dishwasher broke yesterday. Awesome. Day. Great. So that's going to be freaking fantastic. I even wrote something about it in her Mother's Day card. Oh, very well done. Because <laughs> we well are. Done. I come downstairs because I, I crashed early last night. I come downstairs and we already knew something wasn't working well, but there's a, a post-it note on the dishwasher saying dirty. <laughs> and there's a note on the on the countertop for the children saying Use paper only. Dishwasher is broken. Because <laughs> <laughs> God forbid they use their actual mitts to like wash something by hand, right? Oh, God. Do you, do you think this generation knows how to wash a dish? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. In, in fairness, we, it was when we, we moved houses in the same town here, uh, it's coming up on 15 years that we moved. A month before, we, we had gone to contract already on the house we were selling. And right after we went to contract, that dishwasher broke. So we had to replace the dishwasher as we were moving out of the house. We get to the new house, and at that time we had Sadie was under a year, so we were still dealing with bottles, and the, the, the amount of dishes you go through with bottles is insane. Within a month of moving here, this dishwasher broke, and we had to buy, so we bought two dishwashers in under a year. The the folks at I think at that time Home Depot were like, uh, "Is everything okay?" <laughs> well, you have an upstairs and a downstairs dishwasher. I mean, well, yeah, well, does it? it's Connecticut, of course. <laughs> of course. If there's not one, if there's not one in your shed, then you know <laughs> right. you're. You're living on rice and, and yeah, you know, beans, it, basically. Exactly. Um, yeah, no. So this dishwasher's had a 15-year life. I feel okay about the fact that it's time. It's time. We've also replaced our range and our refrigerator in the last year, so the, the kitchen's looking kind of nice. Oh, just, man. It's, just, in time, just in time to move, you know? It's coming for us because we still have the same appliances we bought when we moved into this house 23 years ago. Oh, yeah. Any, it, it's any minute now, right? All of them. It's like within a half an hour of each other. Yep. I, I will say it's funny. We were when we replaced the fridge. I mean, it was it, of course when that happens, you got to do it. Uh, and it was an aggravating situation, but of course, there's features. There's new stuff in a new fridge. Like it's like, oh, this is kind of nice. I like this fridge. The same with the with the range. There's just stuff it does that our old one didn't do. It also doesn't like leak gas anymore, so that's a plus. Uh, but we're looking at dishwashers online last night. So wow. They've made improvements to dishwashers in the last 15 years. Hey, man. I <laughs> Two years ago for my birthday, I got an ice maker attachment for our 20-something-year-old refrigerator freezer. Mm-hmm. And finally, finally, I'm not living like I've been in, like, Russia for the last 15 years. <laughs> I have I have ready-made ice at my fingertips. The, 
it's a, it's an amazing, amazing time to live. We had an ice maker, but it was one of those in, on the old one in the in the pull-out freezer on the bottom. So you had to, like, God forbid, bend over to get the ice. Um, this one has ice and water in the door. And you, the kids, you would have thought to your point, you would have thought that they had been neglected in rags, like <laughs> Oliver Twist style, their entire lives. The way they thought ice and water coming from the door was a sign of, you know, finally, finally, we are worthy human beings. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. I can't wait till they get a load of a new dishwasher that has like a, a third row to put like flat knives and spatulas and things. They're, they're going to think that, you know. Oh, I can't imagine. Jack's going to be like, just in time for me to leave for college. You're going to get all this new stuff. Please, please, Papa, <laughs> may I have another cube of ice? <laughs> oh, it's uh, nice. Uh, the way we Well, that's a hell of an them. intro. That's not even what this whole top episode's about, but it's, it's, it's not, fun. I'm thinking we have to add to the list. Bu- uh, buying, uh, <laughs> bu- buying new appliances? Why does all the shit in my house break all at once? Mm-hmm. Including myself. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yes. Well, that happens after fifty. Just so. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, it, I think it happens all the time. <laughs> I don't seem to be able to remember uh, time before, so it's oh, all you, no. It's all relevant. You're like you're like fifty one. So <laughs> you can't remember time before fifty, or 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 wait, you're fifty. I'm you're 50. not even fifty one. I'm fifty and a half. It's it's <laughs> the before times and the after times. <laughs> Was it really like a finger snap for you, like a Thanos moment? Oh I yeah, mean, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I can't even oh, talk about the midlife crisis. Anyway, but that's not what you keep sidetracking me. Sorry. <laughs> well, that, so anything else to say about your special day today? Um, if anyone's looking for some good search history on dishwashers, just ping me. I've, I've got lots of, <laughs> lots of good info. We'll be sharing his cookies later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is also, we're recording this in May, and this will drop in May. And May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Ooh, that it is. Yes, it is. And mental health is no joke. And I, as I've, I think I mentioned maybe in every episode, I don't know. I'm trying to be a good advocate because I myself struggle with mental illness and have for most of my life. And the stigma that is attached to it, you would think that in today's day and age with that we think we're also enlightened. We are not. <laughs> We are, we are, we are barely out of caves and poking each other with sticks. So this whole concept of, of mental illness, something that's not easily seen or, or simple to label somehow gets this, well, stigma associated with it that ultimately alienates. And I just thought we could kick off this whole concept because, you know, I want to talk about some of the specifics a little later on, because I think that, uh, well, know that many of us out there have a certain age have struggled with this from time to time. Maybe we're still struggling with it, or we think that there's an issue and probably ought to do something about it because it is a health issue. So we want to be aware of that and maybe share some things that, that I've come to understand about the stigma of mental health and some of the things that we've researched here recently and just basically start the discussion and let people know that well, there are others out there that can understand what you're going through and can maybe even help listen. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great thing to talk about. Uh, the the stigma, the identification of it in yourself and in others, and it's hard to identify it in others in that you, you never really know exactly what other people are going through. Some people are fantastic about hiding this stuff. Uh, a lot of people just, just 
hide, period, mm -hmm. when they're going through things and you just lose sight of them. It's called masking. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we just it's, it's easier to talk to no one and let it all go on in your own head. And that's, of course, bad because talking to people is the foundation of fixing your mental health, is, you know, is, is speaking to a, an impartial outside party who can help you kind of walk through that muddy path. It's a concept I want to call you out as, you know, because I, I don't ever do that uh, to, to everyone that's listening. You said fix your mental health. Ah, uh, to control. I would even take... You don't like control either? <laughs> I don't like control either. Okay. I would say I would say cope. Okay. And manage. Uh, okay. Because it's I, not a it's not a broken arm that you can it's better later. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. And and I think that well, I happen to agree with uh, a lot of the perspectives that exist right now in the psychiatric communities about this concept of mental health is just a chemical imbalance. Now, believe you me, I have studied a long time on brain chemistry and what all of these imbalances actually do. How do they present, right? And so there's a, in this concept of mental health and mental illness, there's this biological component, which, which includes genetics, which includes the, the, um, the brain chemistry. You have an imbalance concept. There's the social condition, which also includes your upbringing, trauma, and just general relationships. And then there's the environmental cues, which is just the larger society in general and the conditions in which you live currently. Like, are you in an abusive relationship? Are you living with someone who has a substance abuse problem? Things of that nature. All three of these things weigh in on one's, quote, mental health and are components of mental illness. So this idea of mental illness just being a chemical imbalance and something a pill can fix is an artifact of the late 50s and early 60s when Big Pharma was finally uh, coming out with mommy's little happy pills that help with her anxiety. And, you know, if mommy takes, just takes this one pill, she won't be so, what do they call it? Hysterical. <laughs> and let me tell you about the link between the word hysterical and hysterectomy. It's a whole other story. <laughs> okay. But this concept of just medicate it. Just medicated, just medicated. It really started pretty heavy uh, post World War II. Well, do you think we had any trauma going on past World War II? Well, any mental trauma? No, none, <laughs> none whatsoever. But it hasn't really stopped that concept, mm -hmm. right? Even to the point of, as I was digging into this topic a little bit deeper about, well, what is it? How do people see it? What is the stigma that's associated with it? And the fact that in the psychiatric community, whether you're a psychologist, a therapist, or a psychiatrist, it and, and even researchers like uh, psychobiological research, man, getting them to agree <laughs> on oh, sure. on anything uh, is, as it relates to like this triangle of, of trigger, I don't know what triggers, uh, stim stimuli uh, related to mental illness. How could anyone really be faulted for wanting to identify the simple route and say, it's a chemical imbalance, take a pill, you'll be better? Sure. I'll, I'll add some, a diagnostic opinion to all that as well. Think about when you go to a doctor for a physical problem because I just did this earlier in the week. And they start asking, does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Does it hurt there? Do Tell me anything at all. And they're not in your body. They can't figure out exactly what you're feeling. And like I, had, I have got something going on with my legs and it was, you know, well, is it pain or is it ache or is it a burning? And I'm like, well, it's kind of a half 
pain, half ache with a stab every once in a while with a with some sprinkles on top. Like <laughs> I, it, diagnostically, it is it is hard to get someone to explain. That's why they have all these pain charts. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if you're trying to get to the core of how someone feels, and then never mind build the chemicals around how to fix it, and part of how someone is feeling is hard for them to enunciate because either they're embarrassed to talk about it because there is sadness and shame and whatever else going on, or just because they don't know how to find the right words, and then you're trying to build a chemical around fixing that. I mean, there's a, there's so much disconnect there. So I think a lot of these drugs, especially early on, are, um, I hate to say surface level, but it, it's a tough connection to make. Yeah, it absolutely it is, which is why the concept of therapy, which I've think I've got a whole episode I want to do on therapy called therapy schmerapy. Uh but it this it's a it's a component of the mental health space and it's an important component because the way I liken it is if if your mental well-being frankly is a house of cards. Oh yeah. And I used to build card house I make card houses all the time when I was a kid. And how you know how, how tall can you build it? Everything's got to be balanced just right. And if you know that you're you know, you got a particular breeze coming from one direction, right? You build it heavy to lean into it sort of thing. So it's, it, the mental health is the same way. It builds, it responds to its environment. The way I liken medication to help treating mental illness is imagine you're trying to, you, you're going through a rough patch mentally and emotionally and your house collapses a bit and you try to rebuild that house. Well, what happens if the table's just constantly shaking? like constantly shaking. You can't, you cannot rebuild it. And so the way I liken therapy is to the rebuilding part. The medication helps to stop the shaking of the table. So it helps to even out and level the playing field. It gives it gives you a foundation that's workable. Correct. It so, may not be perfect foundation, but it's workable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's not going to fix everything. You can't expect that a, a, a mental illness. I mean, so, why don't we, let's let's go back a little bit further. We all suffer from time to time with things like depression or anxiety or fear, things like that. It's human nature. It's part of our brain chemistry and the output of our limbic system. So, and if you guys don't know, you're talking to a scientist. So Greg usually takes a nap during these these oh, parts. Oh, yeah. We know you're a scientist. We get it. <laughs> you make up. This is where I make up words. Uh-huh. So this whole concept, we all struggle with this from time to time. What makes it an illness is when it's pervasive and it is not something that simply changing your environment can move you out of. Because there is a biological component to it. And there is a brain chemistry, I'm going to say imbalance, because it is an imbalance associated with it. But just fixing that one thing, that imbalance, quote, fixing it, like you said, you can't really fix it because, frankly, we don't know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. We know we can observe what happens if we you know, poke over here, <laughs> poke over there, what happens? Oh, okay. And so we've been able to develop some medications around controlling the... And it is a control that the uptake, the reuptake, as it's called, of some of these brain chemicals, neurotransmitters Mm -hmm. that allow them to stay active in the brain longer, which seem to alleviate a lot of that table shaking that I was talking about. 
and it's tricky because it, I mean it's brain chemistry. It's do you have enough of something or have too much of something, and then it's how much of it is absorbed, how quickly it's being used up. It's it's regulation. The mm -hmm. medication is all about trying to get your brain to be similar to that other guy's brain who seems to have his shit together. <laughs> <laughs> seems to is the is the seems is to. the functional yeah. phrase there because never mind all the axes in his closet. Because. Right, exactly. Yep, yep. Torsos in the basement. Mm -hmm. uh, that that whole concept of neurotypical versus neurodivergent, uh, believe me, huh, something I'm very familiar with. I just, I wonder, you and I were talking, kicking around this concept of, of the stigma associated with mental illness as its pervasiveness in the media, whether that's like the entertainment sector or like this, this topic, this podcast as part of the media talking about and wanting to Oh, shit, we're the man. We're the man. When did that happen? Well, it's something I've always aspired to be. Uh, the, <laughs> the, 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 this concept of mental health, mental illness in the media as a, like a plot device. It, it's tricky. And, and we're going to do a whole episode on, on the, the normalization of it in the media. But it, it's, I liken it to representation mm -hmm. of, of everything people start to identify themselves or have always identified themselves with what they see on screen and it's why you you see this with um with with race and religion and gender and and all these things that go on in television and movies and whatever else where you want to see people that look like you because mm -hmm. it helps you identify with what you're watching and you're starting to see more and more of this where you've got visions of folks with mental health challenges because you can identify with them. Now you're talking something that is medical as opposed to something that is social, I'll say. And and my concern with some of this is that, uh, and this is what you and I were talking about before the, the record light went on, is that you could be giving people advice that doesn't pertain to their specific situation in a way that's harmful. Agreed. I, I am not a therapist. <laughs> I am not a but you, but you play one on the radio. <laughs> but I play one on the radio. Um, I have a PhD in pain. Uh, <laughs> oh my! See, and that sounds like a great like Arnold Schwarzenegger line. Ah, right uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I have plenty of personal experience, but it, the the key there is personal, and so mm -hmm. it, it comes from my own place. And I remember talking to a therapist and asking. He brought up this concept of, well, how does it, how does it feel? Right. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? How does it feel? Because I can only tell you what it's like to be me. And in my head, I've always been me. And so to me, this feels quote normal. So you ask me if this feels unnatural or not normal, how am I supposed to answer that? Mm -hmm. You're allowed to feel how you feel. Right. And, that's who you and, are. and he was just yeah. like silent. He goes, Okay, one nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's be clear. The goal of therapy is not to win. Oh, that, that is not the point. That's what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> yes, you're not supposed to come out of there winning. <laughs> oh, it's not a debate. Oh, I know you like being the smartest person in the room, but you you need to you know back off on that yeah. in some situations. Uh, I owe him oh, an apology. That's funny. You're you're. The, the, the thing that I've always come back to in those types of sessions is it's 
and this is the part that's hard for a lot of people, myself included, is that it's okay to feel the way you feel. It's what you do with that mm -hmm. that's important. And that's and and what a lot of people want to do with that is hide because that's the easiest thing to do. Yep. In that case. And I think that's human nature. It, it's it is just it human is. nature. It's to it's to avoid when things when you can't make sense of them. And if it doesn't seem to be immediately threatening your existence, you tend to, yeah, just put it over there because I don't want to deal with it. Yep. And let me tell you when, at least for me, I was, I was not diagnosed with my condition. So I've, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I have adult ADHD for sure. And there are some other things that go along with that as those things overlap. I was not diagnosed until uh, I was diagnosed with the OCD in my late 20s, I want to say. Yeah, late 20s. And then I wasn't diagnosed with, actually, it's what we've come to understand is ADHD is the primary and OCD is the secondary. Because they, they, tend, they tend to work in pairs or in tertiary. Sure. That ADHD uh, diagnosis only happened three years ago. Hmm. I've been digging into it and really looking at my past in this new light. I'm just like, fuck. I look back at the issues, the main issues that I, that I highlight in my mind of my childhood, my adolescent years, and even through college all relate to this things start to come together. And then when you start to talk in a therapy sessions about these things and how they relate, and really it's, it's not about, at least for me, it's not about figuring out how to deal with what you've got. It's coming to terms with realizing that this was the things all along in your life mm -hmm. and how not to feel resentful or depressed over the fact that, yeah, if I, if I could have, so if should have, could have known about this and had the support to address it, which I did not in those early foundational years whatsoever, my life could have been a lot less painful. Mm -hmm. it, it allows you to take some con retroactive control back when you can look back and go, this, this wasn't me failing at something. This was me not having the tools to control it properly, and that's not on me. Oh. But here, okay, but <laughs> I hate using button, however, uh, because they're erasing words. That's a whole nother talk, topic. <laughs> the, I, I would agree with that. The other thing, though, that I would add is only if the support is there for you to deal with it. So, for instance, in my, in my growing up, in my family, there was no support for this concept whatsoever. I mean, at, at all. I would argue in that in that generation, yeah, there was very. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we will get to the stigma part of this very shortly. Yeah, there's there wasn't support for most anyone who was going through that, mm -hmm. unless it was so severe that it couldn't be ignored. Right, absolutely. It was basically suck it up, suck it up and deal with it. That's yeah. suck yeah. it up and deal with it. It doesn't matter how many times you know a parent has a, a quote nervous breakdown. What do they do? They don't go to the doctor to seek help for that. They go to their pastor. Or the bar. Yeah. So come on. And as, as I look back in my life and I look at the, the biology of what I know I, I'm dealing with, and I look back at my family, parents, grandparents, I can see in them these traits. 
I could see in my grandfather's actions, looking back retrospectively, exactly how much straight up OCD the man had. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not talking the vernacular, oh, I'm so OCD about that. And let me tell you what, you want to talk about grinding my gears? People that say they, they're a little bit OCD are completely full of shit. <laughs> Be, like being ki- kind of pregnant, being kind of pregnant, or having just a touch of diabetes. Yeah, uh, a touch of diabetes. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And mm-hmm. I can remember my grandfather stacking pennies. He had to before we could go do anything together. And he was that's where I learned most of my my maker skills. Uh, he was a he was a cabinet maker and a carpenter. So we used to go and put her around in the basement. We could not go down there until he stacked all of his pennies on his desk. And they all had to be in the same the same number of pennies, right? Ten pennies in a stack, stacked all the way across his desk. And he'd have to do that with the change every, I don't remember if it was every day, but it was, and we couldn't do anything until he did that at all. And I just wonder, I'm thinking now, how much that man masked yeah. in his whole life about that. I remember my family members saying, it's like, oh, he's just very particular. He's very particular and he's very exact. OCD didn't exist as a concept. Right, exactly. And I I look at those, what we know now, and I look back at my life before and the things that I was exposed to, environment. So I got biology, right, Uh, the hereditary part, and the environment that I was around. And then the social one, which we just touched on, about the fact that this isn't a thing, just suck it up, buttercup. Wow. I I got the triple whammy there. And there are, you know, I, I, you're right. There are elements of that in in my family history as well. Not that the penny thing is fascinating. Checking the doorknob 87 times, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, you know, uh, I, I see elements of that in my family as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think everyone's got bits of it. And I hope the people listening are thinking back and going, wow, yeah. I, I see pieces that were either eccentricities or... Just particular is it the word I think you use? Particular. It's very particular. Mm-hmm. And the thing yeah. the thing is, is people can, you're right, it's a spectrum. And so can you be a little bit pregnant in this case? You might be. I mean, actually, clinically, you might be. Mm-hmm. But I don't think most people are using that. I'm so OCD in that way. They're saying like, yeah, I, you know, I just, oh, I just hate it when my whatever, my desk is messy and I just got to clean it. Like, right. But does that keep you up at night, like you clean it and then you go to bed and then 15 minutes later, you're back down there doing it again, like all over again. No, you just like to have things deep because the visual clutter probably brings you some sort of, you know, calm. The obsessive compulsive part is a loop in your brain that does not allow you to stop Mm -hmm. at all to the point where you will deprive yourself of food and sleep in order to constantly clean the desk and then go back and clean it again 20 minutes later all over there is a difference there sure just saying <laughs> <laughs> think, think think it grinds my gears a little bit yes yes it does uh because having having those tendencies um and remembering what life was like before identification and treatment was just dumbfounding mm-hmm. because i in my head that was normal Right. Yeah. That was normal until you realize suddenly that something is, is amiss and you're quote, not normal. So you're, you're neurodivergent and then the shame hits Mm -hmm. and the shame really does a number on you. 
And that's part of the the stigma that's associated with it. You know, shame is part of the stigma. It, it is, especially in a society where, you know, suck it up and deal with it. There's a fair amount of that, which is, well, if you if you're depressed, if you've got anxiety, if you can't control what you're doing, just, just, just control it. Just, yeah. You know, I did. So why can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's allowed to be depressed. You know, you shouldn't be depressed. You should just fix the problem. Take some action. Don't be so lazy. Exactly. Why are you just sitting on your couch, staring into space when you can be doing, don't worry about the mess in your house and make it upset you. Clean it up. You know, go, <laughs> go find the job that makes you happy. Get out there and pound the pavement. And I know people like this. Oh yeah, Absolutely. I've got a, an infographic here called Reducing Stigma of Mental Health, and we'll put it up on our webpage. But it's like mental health stigma looks like you shouldn't have kids. You just pass on your selfish issues. <laughs> uh, all women are a bit bipolar. Mental illness is just an excuse to life off of benefits and not contribute to society. Therapy and medications are a scam. You don't need all that. Just suck it up. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you can't get out of bed? It's not like your legs aren't working. Well, in your case, no, not about that. But uh, <laughs> every everyone has anxiety. Some people are just stronger than you are. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. That that resonates well. <laughs> that yeah. yeah. Here's another one from uh, the Hogg Foundation, University of Texas. That's their uh, mental health institute. There, Institute for Mental Health. Mental disorders are not adjectives. You look so anorexic. Uh-oh, my OCD is coming out again. Oh, this is this is this is one that you're going to that you're going to really love. This is this one's I know you love this topic. I swear I'm like retarded. Oh, I hate that word. Quit being psycho. My mom yelled at me yesterday. She's like so bipolar. Like these are not they're they're not adjectives. And I think that we we no. use them a little bit too we as society use them a little bit too loosely. Because again, I'm going to go back to the, to the comment I made and about diabetes. It's like, oh, I so totally can't eat that. I'm so feeling diabetic today. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's just it's just the wrong use of the terminology. It, right. It's like I don't know. I don't know if it's just made its way into our vernacular or what the deal is. So I think they they're they're words that make people sound like they know what they're talking about when they don't really know what they mean. Dude, I'm an and, expert at that. Yeah. I don't think that word <laughs> I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> right? Right. Exactly. Um, which, which reminds me, I'm adding a whole episode entitled When to Use There, There, and There. Oh, nice. <laughs> Can we put the Oxford comma in there too? Oh yes, Oxford comma. We're on the we're on the different side of the coin on that one, you and I. Yeah, we are. Oxford comma for life. No. No, no, and no. <laughs> Comma is optional. Great. All of, all, all of my uh, high school English teacher friends right now are like, yay, this is going to be so great. Should all, I should have them all on. We should just have a round table. <laughs> An English round table. Yep. Okay, I'll, we'll, I'll make sure that everyone knows to skip that particular episode. Call it grammar rodeo. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Anyway. Bad, well, bad. I just I wanted to use this opportunity, what, what it being made, to bring up this topic. And the fact that we know mental health stigmas are a thing, and I have been a contrarian all my life. Maybe you didn't know that. <laughs> Shocker. 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 Uh, so I'm taking the opportunity to stand up and say, 
and call bullshit on that mm-hmm. and to let folks know that there are people out there that are willing to listen and are willing to be vocal about their own situations. I am. If anyone else is feeling that way, feeling feeling the need, like they they understand that there's an issue there, that's something that they want to understand more but don't know where to start, even just talking, send me a message mm-hmm. and I'm happy to listen. Yeah, we, we, we both are. And the, the, the stigma piece, it, it's tough because you, you know, we, we've talked before about friends and you're going to have some friends that you're willing to have conversations with and some friends that you're just not for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. it's probably due to how accepting you think they will be. The worst thing you can do when you're feeling off is, is hide under the covers. It's just you, by its very nature, you can't fix, I know, usually fix again. You can't cope yourself if you are the one creating the you know, oh, I'm using all the wrong words today. If you are the one with these problems, doing it alone never works. So whether it's a professional where there can be some anonymity or a, or a person that can can just listen, because sometimes you just need to say things out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a very, you know, we talked a lot about medication today, but I'm a very firm believer in the therapy schmerapy side of things that that speaking out loud just like when you're solving a problem at work or anywhere else, sometimes you find the answer even when the other person hasn't said a word. Yeah, the therapy part is building the card house back up. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's there for. And one does not cannot be done without the other. Yeah. So you need you need all of these things in order to really start to understand who you are and, and frankly, be okay with it. That's what it's about, because when we say things like fixing and control and cope, I mean, we all know, I think, I hope we know what we're trying to say, but what we really do mean is that this is you realizing that you are unique in the way that you think and the way that your brain chemistry operates and you, the, the rest of the society that you live in may not have been built up around you, right? You are the 20% the 80-20 rule, right? So there may be 80% that are a way that our education system is, is built or the way our mental health support industry is. You fall outside of that, you are divergent and that's okay. As long as you understand what it is that makes you that way, like your attributes, frankly, in some cases, turn them into superpowers and make them work for you. But it's just not something that you're gonna be able to do by yourself in isolation with all of these other social stigmas coming at you. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And, and you will find that with these stigmas, a lot of them are, a lot of them aren't as bad as you think they might be. People don't talk about things. And when you start opening up about them, you realize a lot more people are dealing with the same things you are. Um, I will never forget, this is going back 20 years. Uh, my wife had a miscarriage before we had our kids. When we talked to a few friends and there was stigma. You didn't talk about that stuff back then. We found out that, oh my God, so many people we knew had gone through so many similar situations. It's just that it wasn't something that was talked about, but you needed to talk about it. And I think this is very, very, very similar where you'd be surprised how many people that you spend every day with have similar situations, you know, parallel issues, and you can learn a lot and just get some comfort from having those conversations. Yeah, we're running along here, and I'll just wrap this up by, by saying that we brought up media and mental illness and the way that it's sort of stereotyped in order to take a complex topic and wedge it into a 20-minute long sitcom. <laughs> 
But the reason that, and I think that you're right, that one of the reasons that it's a popular trope is because it, there are people out there that want to feel included and they see some, someone or something that reminds them of themselves. And so they feel like they're, they, they're a tribe and they feel like they're not alone. Maybe invest your time differently. Maybe look for people that you could engage with that actually live that way mm -hmm. and not these fictitious characters that just might remind you of that. There are ways to feel included out there and embrace your neurodivergent nature uh, and be able to have a healthy and strong life and contribute and feel like you're contributing. It's not all the way that these stereotypes make it seem. <laughs> It also doesn't like leak gas anymore, so that's awesome. <laughs>